Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning, and hello to everyone on the live stream as well. We are in Psalm 22 today, so if you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 22, that would be great. Uh, and before we get into the Word this morning, um, as I was preparing and studying for preaching today, um, in one of the commentaries I was reading, it uh, had a hymn that was very... Uh, impactful to me. So I wanted to start off by reading that hymn today, um, and then we'll, we'll get into what Psalm 22 has to say. So this hymn is by John Newton, and it's titled, In Evil Long I Took Delight. He says, In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that, that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. Um, I chose this psalm today because as we continue in our series, our Summer in the Psalms, we're going to be unpacking Psalm 22. And we wrapped up Psalm 21 last week, looking at the full breadth of salvation and what that entails, specifically looking at God's wrath and judgment against God's enemies. And ironically, perhaps, perhaps it's actually intentional, we come to Psalm 22, the psalm that Jesus quoted the first verse of as he hung about to die on the cross, a psalm that has come to be known as the psalm of the cross. A psalm that gives us another detailed account alongside the Gospels, as well as a personal perspective to the judgment and wrath that Jesus felt and bore in our place. We finished Psalm 21 with verse 13 declaring, Be exalted, Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might, speaking of the judgment of God upon his enemies. We are rejoicing in God's justice and judgment, and rightly so. Those are good things. And then we come upon Psalm 22, and we're hit right smack in the face with God's Son taking that wrath and judgment we praise God for upon himself, for you and for me. So I felt the hymn was quite fitting for today, to set our hearts in a place of praise and worship as we study this Psalm of the Cross. And this psalm is no light matter. As we work our way through it in the coming weeks, we will see this is 
no typical time of persecution in the life of David. This is a description of an impending execution, a personal account of the emotion, the loneliness, the pleaful hope, the pain, the prayer, the sorrow, the, re- the resolute faith of one who's suffering, and ultimately the deliverance of the Lord. Now, there are differing views as to whether this psalm is completely prophetic and therefore only foretelling of Christ's future sufferings, or if it's telling of a time during David's life that is then more fully realized in the suffering of Christ. But regardless of these differing opinions, one thing is for sure, this is an intimate foretelling of Christ's suffering and deliverance. We know this not only from reading the psalm ourselves and seeing all the connections to Christ's crucifixion, but Jesus quotes the first verse of Psalm 22 as some of the last words before he dies. Matthew and Mark record this occurrence in their gospel accounts. In Matthew 27, verses 45 to 46, he says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemasabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And in Mark 15, verses 33 and 34, it says, When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemasabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? For those unaware of Psalm 22, Jesus' cry on the cross is still completely justified and fitting to the wrath of God he was taking upon himself. But Jesus wanted those who watched him die and those who would one day hear of his death on a cross to be directed to Psalm 22. For in this one psalm, we see more than what the crowds and the eyewitnesses saw. In Psalm 22, we have revealed to us the inner turmoil, the emotion, the prayer, the faith, and the hope of Jesus while he was dying on the cross. So for this morning and the coming weeks, I pray that our time in Psalm 22 gives us not only a bigger and weightier view of the cross, but also of the love of Jesus, that he died, that we may live. So we'll be going through the first five verses this morning. We're going to take our time going through this because there's quite a bit in Psalm 22. So make sure you've opened your Bible up to Psalm 22. I'll pray for us, and then we'll get into the text for today. Father, you are marvelous, wonderful. Your mercies are new every morning. Father, we're thankful that we can gather here together today as your body, that people can join us online to listen and hear from your word. Father, I pray as we unpack this psalm that you can give us open hearts, minds, ears, and eyes to see and hear what you have to say. And in this humble state, Lord, I pray that you can be shaping and molding us into the creation you desire us to be. That we can be glorifying image bearers of you, God. Making known 
your love, your salvation, your truth to the world that is around us. I pray that your word just speaks to us this morning. It convicts us where we need to be convicted. It encourages us where we need to be encouraged. That it ultimately just draws us closer to you in faith. Knowing you are the mighty God who has restored us through the death of your son and his raising to new life. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Psalm 22 verses 1 through 5 say, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. I titled today's sermon, The Faith of the Forsaken Savior. As we make our way through these first five verses, we'll see this man that David is writing about continues to have faith in his God despite the seemingly hopeless situation he finds himself in, which takes us to our first point for the day, the abandonment of the faith-filled one. The abandonment of the faith-filled one. I'll read the first two verses of Psalm 22 again. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. David does not skip a beat with the beginning of this psalm. Right off the bat, he poses a question that many of us have cried out at one point or another in our lives. God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? Why are you silent? Why aren't you answering me? God, help me. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, I'll address our own cries and petitions to God in a bit, but we must see that this first verse and what follows of what David originally wrote is taken to a whole nother level when Jesus Christ cries out these words as he is about to die. Because here is what we need to realize. Up until this point, Jesus has only known perfect, complete, unhindered unity with the Father within the Trinity for eternity. But now, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, is feeling alone, is feeling abandoned. And not just alone, like he's stuck in a room by himself and can go out and find someone. When Jesus cries out these words, something has changed. When darkness came over the land as Jesus was hanging on the cross, something momentous was happening. In Mark 8, 31, it says, Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. The moment was arriving in which Jesus would fulfill the plan he knew from the beginning, the plan that he prayed the Father might take from him, 
the cup that he prayed, if possible, would pass from him in the Garden of Gethsemane, for he knew the severity of what was to come. Yet he continued on, submissive to the Father's will. The time for the Son of Man, for Jesus to suffer and die, has come, and this death was unlike any other death in all of existence. For he bore the wrath of God for humanity's sin as a sinless human being. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in becoming this sacrifice on our behalf, bearing the full extent of God's wrath in those dark hours on the cross, Jesus felt abandoned. He was forsaken by the Father for a period of time, taking on God's wrath against sin so that we would never have to face that wrath of God. Imagine, and I know that in no way can we even come close, but just try. Give it your every effort to imagine that all you've ever known from eternity past until now is the closest presence of the perfect, loving, protective, heavenly Father And then it's gone. Abandoned. Silent. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. As David originally recorded these words, and Jesus brings fullness to them, There is a sense of disorientation and confusion in these words. God the Father is allowing punishment and wrath to come upon his Son, who is eternally sinless. What is crucial to point out here is that Jesus did not have a lapse in faith or a broken relationship with the Father. What we're seeing through the lens of Psalm 22 is that the Father's eternal and protective presence is withdrawn for a time so that Jesus would serve as the wrath-bearer, all according to God's plan. What's amazing is that this is all prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years before the crucifixion ever took place. So turn with me to Isaiah 53, so we can see all this clearly laid out. Isaiah chapter 53. We'll look at verses 3 through 6 and then skip to verse 10. Starting in verse 3 of Isaiah 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. 
skipping to verse 10, says, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. The Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. And through all this suffering and punishment, we still see David record and Jesus cry out, My God, my God. Jesus had no lapse in faith in God. There was no distrust towards the Father, for Jesus knew the plan all along. But this experience was one he had never known. And within this experience, Jesus is disoriented and is calling out, crying out to the Father, the one he has always known. And so we hear the cry of the eternally sinless one as the Father withdraws his presence. And he bears all the sins of history. Which is the appropriate response when any of us feel distant, alone, or abandoned by God. We are to pray. We are to cry out. We are not to lose faith and give up on God. We are not to be of the same mind as Job's wife after Job had lost everything to curse God and die. What we see from this psalm of David and the echoed words of Christ are that we are to cry out to God, to our heavenly Father. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 17, cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. When nothing is going right, when we are suffering, when we are hopeless, when we lose our job, when we lose a loved one unexpectedly, when divorce tears a family apart, when a close friend betrays us, when we feel lost, confused, infuriated, when we feel there's no point to keep on living, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. God loves you. He cares for you. He loves you so much that God came in the form of man to take on death. Jesus suffered and died on the cross so that we might be reconciled to God. As we saw last week, God is a holy and just God who punishes sin, meaning you and I, all of us, stand condemned before God in our sin. But praise God that he has freed us from this condemnation through faith in Christ. Paul says at the very end of Romans 7, going into Romans 8, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, our sins are washed white as snow, and we have new life and a reconciled and restored relationship with God. This is how much he loves and cares for us. He wants to be our loving, merciful, heavenly Father. Peter says he desires all to come to repentance. He wants to lead us in the most joyous life now into eternity. And not only do we get to enjoy the greatest treasure of all in this relationship with God from now into eternity, he also is glorified and magnified through it all. So cast your cares on him. 
If you have not come to faith in Christ, I urge you to do so, for God wants you to be satisfied in him. Nothing in this world compares to the one who created and sustains it all, the one who knew you and me before our lives even began, the one who created you, the one who loves you. Cast your cares on him. Come to faith in him because he cares for you. Cry out to him. Now in our praying and in our crying out, God may be silent for a time, as he was with David and Jesus. So how do we handle the silence? Where do we go from here? This takes us to our second point. Cling to the holiness and character of God. Cling to the holiness and character of God. Flip back to Psalm 22. We'll read verse 3. says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. As we continue on in Psalm 22, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus quoted this specific psalm for a reason. So as Jesus is crying out to God, as he is taking on the sin of the world, is feeling abandoned and not hearing from the Father, where does he go from here? Psalm 22 gives us that inside look of his own unwavering faith and trust in the Father as he is suffering and dying. We see here in verse 3, there is a major swing in David and Jesus' cry. In the middle of crying and praying to God, they pause to remember and remind themselves of who God is. But you are holy. David and Jesus reach for and cling to God's holiness as a source of assurance in the midst of silence and absence. For in this clinging to God's holiness, both they and we remember that God is set apart, above all, unique from creation. He is eternal. He is unchanging. He is ever-present, he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. He is righteous, he is faithful, he is sovereign. He is distinct from all else we know in creation. Everything else falls short or fails. From eternity past to now and into eternity future, he has never failed and will never fail, and is therefore one we can trust and cling to even in the midst of apparent silence and abandonment. David backs this claim to his holiness by saying, he is enthroned on the praises of Israel, meaning God's holiness, his uniqueness in always being faithful has led to praises so plentiful, so numerous, so abounding that he is able to sit enthroned on them. So as Jesus is experiencing this silence and this disruption in his eternal relationship with the Father, he reminds himself in the most painful moments of his existence 
that the Father will not fail him. And just as Jesus clings to God's holy character in the midst of uncertainty, so should we. The Bible is filled with descriptions of God's holy character. One of them in particular is repeated throughout that is found in Exodus 34. In verses 6 and the first part of 7, God says to Moses, The Lord Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love, that hesed love, to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. God's faithful love, this Hesed love that we continuously point to and trust in, will always be maintained for those who trust in him, even in the darkest of hours. So when we come to points in our life when all seems lost, let us follow Christ's example of clinging to the rock, the mighty fortress that is our God, the one who is holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, compassionate, and gracious, and sits enthroned on the praises of his people. And the proof of why Jesus can and why we can trust in him is seen in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 22. David goes on and he says, Our fathers trusted in you, They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. The third point for today is trust as those before us faithfully did. Trust as those before us faithfully did. We see David repeats trust three times in this. Trust, trust, trust. What's the key in the midst of God's silence, in the midst of feeling abandoned? Trust. Why does David trust in God? Why does Jesus trust in his silent father as he suffers and dies? Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote this psalm, made a point to repeat the word trust multiple times to stand out and to grab our attention because God will rescue. He will set free and he will not disgrace or disappoint his people. David points to the countless times God faithfully came through and delivered his people. We can go back to Abraham an old man who had a barren wife and both were far beyond years of being natural parents. And God said that he would be the father of many nations. And not immediately, but eventually, asking Abraham and Sarah to trust him, God came through with their miraculous son, Isaac. Thinking of the Israelites as they were suffering in slavery to the Egyptians, God was faithful to rescue them out of slavery and fulfill his promise to Abraham's descendants that they would live in a land flowing with milk and honey. Trust him. Skip forward to Isaiah 53 and the prophecy of this suffering servant 
God was pleased to crush him, Jesus. But that's not where the prophecy ended. Turn back to Isaiah 53 with me. We'll look at verses 11 and 12. In Isaiah 53, 11, it says, After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. As I said earlier, Jesus knew the plan from the beginning. He would bear the sin of many, carrying our iniquities, but he would also resurrect three days later, conquering sin and death and be in an unhindered, undisrupted relationship with the Father again. Remember, Jesus pointed to Psalm 22, we must ask why. As Jesus clings to God's holiness and character and trusts in the Father's plan of salvation, as those who went before him did, so we also ought to follow in our Savior's steps of trusting God. And this is not new news for us. The Bible is filled with promises of God to assure us and to urge us to trust in him, even when reality seems to be telling us differently. Although we never really know much of the reason why or how God will come through, especially in the moment, we do know from James's letter that we are to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. For the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This this verse always pokes at my stubborn heart when I'm wrestling with God in some way. God uses circumstances in our life to strengthen and grow our faith in him like a muscle. And this is not to say that God takes delight in terrible or difficult circumstances in our life. By no means is that the case. But in the midst of trials that we all come to face, God uses them to strengthen our faith in him to get us to trust in him and his ways, to fall back to his promises and cling to his holiness, to cry out, to pray, and cast our cares on him. And one amazing promise we have from Jesus himself after taking on sin and death for our salvation and his glory is what Matthew records as the very last words of his gospel account. The last part of Matthew 28, 20 says, And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, the innocent and sinless one who took on suffering that none can compare to on our behalf, promises to be with us now and forever. So I pray that we are encouraged, as Christ was encouraged, to persevere upon the cross as he meditated on the character of God and his faithfulness to deliver his own son in his darkest hour.
In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid, for I the Lord have slain? A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus pointed us to the psalmist. He was feeling the weight of sin, of wrath, as he was feeling abandoned, alone. Father, I pray that your word can show us that regardless of what our circumstances are telling us, you are faithful. That you will not remain silent. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf. That we never have to bear that wrath. Father, I pray as we go about our day and our week, that when trials do come, we cling to your character, to your holiness, that we cling to your promises, that we trust in you, even when all hope seems lost. For you will deliver us, even in the darkest hour. Father, we are so thankful that you are a faithful and powerful God. We pray all this in your name. Amen.